0: So tonight I want to speak about, or the title of the talk is uh, Mind, no, Body Trumping Mind. Body Trumping Mind. And first of all, I just want to back off that subject just a bit, <clears throat> because many of you are constantly are questioning how you're doing and whether you're doing it right and uh, from a, a more if you just go out um, a perspective, what is happening is that the unconscious is being made conscious. And all the screams that are occurring is that happening, (laughs) basically. All the hidden areas, because the reason it's been unconscious is because we haven't wanted to see it. So when you start seeing it, what the resistance is, that the residue of that resistance is what is seen. And you see why you didn't want to see it. <laughs> and it explodes onto the, into the being as a, as a, oh my God, you know, I'm this and I am this. And I'm not worried about All of it, it, the kind of the, the whole thing is how unconscious is made conscious. That's what it looks like. Everything that you, from the point of view of a person, who is a part of that unconsciousness, this is what it looks like, what you're going through. All of you are on dead course. You're doing exactly that, but all of this, you don't realize that it's not you. It's just when light shines on darkness, it reveals things that are shocking often. So that, I just want to give you some sense that everyone is right there doing it. Having the you know it's being done. Uh, you're not going off because your particular scream is different than the person's next to you. It's just this is this is how the material looks. Okay, so so saying, I will talk tonight. Uh, start tonight talking a little bit about the intelligence of mind, um, emotion, and body. And. Um, Intelligence of mind—I don't have to spend but one minute on—we all. That's what the, you know, intelligence quotia, quota is—quotient, quotient, whatever it is, IQ. You know, the the ability to navigate abstractions, the ability to um, project future, past oneself within that future and past, and have some clarity of the story that encompasses that. That's the mind's intelligence, and it's the one that society is most um, concerned with. Now, emotional intelligence, and I have not read the book, so this is, I don't know if I'm in line with what that book says or not, but regardless, within the conditioned phenomena, there is an emotional trapment entrapment within most most of that conditioned phenomena. And that entrapment uh, has a level of intelligence that existed when that entrapment occurred. And often you can trace it back in history to our, our childhood or whatever. In any case, there is a sense that This this emotion has its own intelligence. It is not the mind's intelligence. It is its own intelligence. And the mind often stands as a ridiculer of it, but that has no effect whatsoever on the emotional intelligence itself. The emotional intelligence, I'll just give you an example. When I'm on a plane... My emotional intelligence is about one because I'm like worried about making my connection. And so I think, and this is the emotional intelligence, the emotion's intelligence thinks that if it worries, that somehow it'll make the plane and the connection happen, occur. My mental intelligence knows that's ridiculous and so it belittles my emotional intelligence. Oh, come on, Rodney, get over it. Come on. You know, that's, you've heard that sp- inward speak? But that does nothing to the worry at all. It continues to worry, really believing that that worry makes a difference in terms of how the world works. And so embedded within that particular configuration of worry is an intelligence that has not been exposed to awareness, to the truth, and continues to hold itself together as a conditioned phenomena called worry. So what I have learned to do is to expose that worry to awareness. Okay, first of all, not to my intelligence, Not to mind's intelligence, because mind's intelligence has no time for that. It's like, you know, a a 12th grader speaking to a preschooler doesn't have time for that. This is ridiculous. Just get over it and go on. But awareness knows differently. So we expose that awareness to the intelligence of the worry and the worry you know it feels um, again, it feels like draws all the same conclusions it ever has. But intelligence just the awareness says, okay, let's 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 try, let's try something here. Let's just not worry and see what happens. Let's just try it. It's not belittling it. It just wants to see. Wants to see. Wants to. So, okay. So then I, I suspend worry and just see what happens if, to the plane and the activity, if I don't invite tension within it, and it then it learns. It learns that, that system under which its guidance is, uh, um, is wrong. Is faulty. It sees it. It sees it. And so the intelligence, the emotional intelligence, starts developing a maturity that accompanies the wisdom of the awareness. And that's how it works. If I get very reactive and I just get all tight and ask the flight attendant, you know, what time is that flight? How, are we, how much more, you know, well, this kind of stuff. It just invests more and more into the lack of intelligence that emotion has. And the conditioned worry just continues on. So you just play with it a little bit. You just bring it out a little bit. Just expose it a little bit to awareness and just test it a little bit. Have fun with it. Okay, let's just see here. Let's not take it so seriously, but not belittle it. And uh, conditioned patterns of behavior have an intelligence within them. To have their, It has its own guide. And we may have an intellectual understanding that I am not inadequate. You know, that I'm as competent and in the workplace, I'm as competent and all of that which doesn't touch any part of the emotional intelligence contained within the inadequacy. That has its own intelligence and it can't be talked out of that by the intellect. It has to be exposed to awareness, to looking at this thing, to playing with it. Okay, now that takes us to the body's intelligence. The body's intelligence is a very interesting one, probably a a latent potential that few of us really understand. We can get a sense of the emotional intelligence because all of us have experienced being entrapped within the emotional contraction that has nothing at all to do with the maturity of what I know myself to be. So we have a sense of that. We certainly have a sense of the mental intelligence, but bodily intelligence we know very little about. Now body intelligence is an untapped resource. Extraordinary in its ability. The cells of the body, the cells of the body hold an intelligence that usually follows the mind's intelligence. We play, we play, the, we, the body is enslaved, this is how, how our culture does it. The mind trumps the body. The mind, the body follows the mind as kind of an enslaved, like a dog that's been trained just to kind of be, you know, just, and it holds the intelligence, the, both the emotional and the intellectual intelligence. And it, you can see the body's posture as it holds that intelligence. It's become the intelligence of the mind or the emotion. And you, you also feel from time to time that this thing has a potential that is vast. Absolutely vast. If it could just be tapped, we don't have any idea how to tap it. Because you can't tap the body's intelligence by thinking. You enslave it by thinking. You enslave it through the conditioning. But what is it, how to free up that essence of intelligence itself? That, has an awful lot to do with what we're doing here. Because the body, the mind, and the emotions are caught in time, intricately woven into a whole story of me and the emotional impact of that story, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The body, although containing that conditioning, in essence is here and now all the time. never strays from here and now. And that's why the Buddha used it skillfully as a foundation of mindfulness, because as a foundation, it is always here and now. So to enter the body's intelligence requires the alignment of us into the here and now. When we sit, we ask for a straight posture. Some of you have bad posture. I have not emphasized it, but I just want to mention it now. You sit either leaning back against the back of a chair, kind of in that kind of arrested way, instead of bringing your, swinging your back out. Your shoulders are slumped. There's a general feeling of lack of bodily intelligence there. Because to access that body's intelligence, we have to sit free of the conditioning that has driven our life, which means shoulders open, open, sort of embracing, basically a standard of embracing, come what may, just opening to come what may, a courage, a stance of courage, straight, which means highly alert, and yet relaxed like a coat on a coat hanger. The skeletal system holds it steady and the muscular system hangs around the skeletal system. But it's it's steady and straight. And therefore, that is the optimum posture to access the body's intelligence. So that when something comes in here, there is a general, there's the emotional intelligence and the intellect that's, Compound, and there's also a way that the body is receiving those things as well. And uh, the body can hold a kind of attitude depending upon the posture or the uh, investment of the, of the mind into the posture. And the straighter we hold ourselves, the more freer we become from that sense of drapery, emotional drapery, that the mind is constantly trying to place upon the body. So the body posture is extremely important. Don't look past it. And there's a reason that every tradition emphasizes this alert attention in body posture. Okay, so now let's look at how we can use the body to trump the body's the body intelligence, to trump the mind and emotional intelligence. This is um, what in Buddhism is known as wise embodiment, wise action sometimes. Wise embodiment is not something we usually think about it as, you know, that I sort of keep all the rules and one of the rules is how I act. So let me keep my actions kind of contained within the rules of the mind and on the eightfold path and all kind of scripted out. Well, that's not it at all. The body has three principles. The body's intelligence has three principles for activation. When it's activated, there are three principles uh, that drive it. The first is the one that most of us understand when we understand wise action, and that is it's perceptually pure. The body isn't given, the body in its, in its intelligence, with its intelligence, which is a here and now intelligence, remember. The mind is always coming in, corrupting that intelligence, but if we can keep it, if we can allow our awareness to stay within the body so that the body is here and now and the awareness is in embodying that here and now as well within it, then we will know the perceptual purity. Perceptual purity doesn't mean that we are um, ethically uh, more and morally uh, righteous. It means... That there is a way that the body knows its alignment with other things. And the other things are not seen as separate things to the body because the body doesn't feel that separation. It's the mind that feels that separation and infuses that separation into the body. The body feels connected. That's why when we go to the body, we have an intuitive sense of things and you can often feel other people from the body. Because that is the, that's the, It's like an antenna. It's also an antenna for what we're feeling emotionally. Like the body is a very finely tuned antenna. And often before we know what we're feeling in the mind, the body's picking up that and we call that intuition. And so once we allow the body its proper orientation to the here and now, and we're not in constantly um, painting the body with our emotional and mental uh, uh, scripts, the body holds a relationship phenomena to other things that is harmonious. This is called yoga. Union. Usually in yoga, we try to place the mind, we, try, we see the mind's limitation while we're doing the posture. We see where the mind is trying to mind the body. And if we back off, we see that the body has its own script here, has its own knowledge, has its own... It knows where to go, it knows what to do. It even knows the posture. In fact, those postures, yoga postures, came out of deep meditation states spontaneously like hand mudras also do. The body moves in a kind of vast wonder. And then people then try to mind those yoga postures into a relationship and kind of force the body into them. And what do the covers of the magazines of Yoga Journal show? It shows the perfect body doing some kind of posture that none of us can do. And that's the representation of yoga we get. But each of our bodies has its own intelligence. It knows by looking at things, I can't do that. I'm not even going to go there. And then the mind starts saying, well, if I was thinner and if I were, you know. <laughs> and so there's this way that the body it has it's a pro- knows its proper orientation to things. It also lights the fuse of its own action, of its own movement. We think that it comes down from the mind. I believe, it certainly does often because we just keep forcing that connection. But I believe, have some certainty with, more when we release the, the mind's hold on the body, it comes up from the earth because the body is an extension of the earth. Now, just for a moment, feel the certainty of where you are. Don't let the mind undermine that certainty with its doubt and thinking, oh, should I be here and all of that. But because the body has an absolute certainty of where it is, an overriding confidence that knows that it can be nowhere else. And, and within the perceptual alignment that the body knows is true for itself, it offers no apologies for where it is. It's not paranoidly looking over its shoulder and saying, is anybody going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here? That's why the Buddha, on the night of his enlightenment, reached down and touched the earth as confirming the connection of the earth to the body. This is where I am. And when we get lost in the entrapped energy of the mind's intelligence or the emotional inadequacies' intelligence and we start waving with our self-doubt about where we should be and why we should be and can we do this, just simply stop reach down and touch the earth. In that simple posture, we are known to all things. Remember, the body does not know separation. And it confirms and validates not only itself, but itself with all things through that simple touch. But that touch is going on constantly because we are always connected to the earth. And so we are never very far from just being able to hold the intelligence of the body, let the mind's intelligence go. The emotional intelligence is wacko. It'll never set you straight. It's abstract. It's history. Time can never orient us. But the body's intelligence can. This is tremendously important. Because now we're going to step into using the body. Using the body to decondition the other two. The first thing we have to realize is that actions from mind are entirely goal-oriented with the bodies, right? So, in other words, I, I never do anything for itself. I'm doing something for what I can procure through the activity. I'm reaching in order to grasp. The reaching itself has no meaning. It's what I'm reaching for that has all the meaning. That's mind-based activity, future-oriented, time-induced Right? I'm thirsty. Thirst, the mind says, is a problem. Glass of water. All of this action, going over to the fountain, filling it up, getting my purified water. <laughs> Taking it back. Now I drink it. Now. Okay, fine. That's it. That's, that's what I... All of the other stuff was dead time, wasn't it? Okay, non-goal-oriented action. When the body is in charge, its intelligence is in charge, it is non-goal-oriented action. It's action for its own sake, not for the sake... You see, and for the sake of goal, mind-driven action, then that's entirely quantifiable. It's, it has no sense of quality of time. It has no sense of quality of movement. It has quantity. I need this, get it, now I've got it, done. Non-goal-oriented action is quality action, not quantifiable. And so it's not so interested, it's not that it's completely devoid of knowing where it's going. It just brings the body along with the mind instead of having it being mind-driven. So the body moves with the mind, but it doesn't let the mind move out in front of itself. In other words, if I'm going to get a glass of water, that's fine to have that goal, but it doesn't drive that goal so that I don't appreciate the process of procuring it. It brings now along with time. And when now comes along with time, all intelligences, all the intelligences are satisfied. What I've just talked about is the instructions for walking meditation that some of you are not doing and should be. Because if you don't practice non-goal-oriented movement, as soon as you're back away from this environment, or even within this environment, I can see the way you walk to and from the hall. You're walking goal-intended. Even though the bell goes off and you'll stop, as soon as the bell stops ringing, you're back trancing yourself. The body's not in charge at all. Walking meditation has this point in mind to show us movement free of mental intelligence and emotional intelligence. The body's intelligence. But we don't like to practice it. It's hard. It's tedious. Why? Because it's not completely satisfying to the mind. It never will be. No body intelligence because it's, it's a different derivation of time. One is embodied in time, the other is out of time. And so it's never going to be satisfying because the mind only gets satisfied through time. Meaning, the procurement of something, quantifiable results. Don't stop doing something because it's easier not to. And because I've given you permission not to, you think, okay, See, indulgence has a much more insidious formation on us than we know, than we allow the possibility. And we can just say, well, you know, it's just too hard to do this and I I don't like doing it, so I'd much rather have tea. Right. And your actions, meanwhile, are just all over the map. Hmm? These forms have a point to them. The forms of the practice have a point. And I have given you as much leeway as I can for you to find that point. But some of you aren't even looking. Now, when you get entrapped within the form so that you don't, now you're back entrapped. In the mind thinking that you have body intelligence in the mind, but you're trapped within the form that you can't get out of that either. So either way, you see, you're using the form of the walking, which is to take us out of goals, as a goal to procure what you need for in your spiritual movement. This is nonsense, this is insanity. But I don't know what you're doing. You have to know what you're doing and come forward with it. Okay. Now, a wonderful, a wonderful component of non-goal-oriented action, this is the beauty, is that it's also serendipitous. Like the unexpected happens. When you're not focused on the goal, which is where I'm going, with blinders on usually, because I don't care about anything in between, only my glass of water, Nothing really can come in. But non go in movement, which is the mind moving, the body moving with the mind in synchronicity, not as a, a predominant factor, but in synchronicity, then serendipity happens. You go around the corner and you see the person you were thinking of. So you have this desire, you look around and there it is. I... Carol Wilson is a teacher. uh, She was in Asia with me uh, for just a little while as a nun. And uh, there she was in Thailand. She was getting ordained. And she just had this um, lust for a peach. There are no peaches in Thailand. And somebody shows up at her door and says, I want to give you a peach. <laughs> I never had a peach in you know, the years I was in Thailand. And she never had another peach while she was in Thailand. But it's that kind of synchronicity of just the mystery of the world coming forth that is such a delight to a world that can only see mind-driven goals. Goals. In fact, it's a wonderful intention to take as you get up out of the bed in the morning to say to yourself, let the mysteries, with the intention, just to say the intention, let the mysteries of the world be revealed today. And then just watch for them, because they will be. I was just taking a walk around this, one of these loops, and. I was coming down this hill to this stop sign. It has this intersection where this main road goes. And I was just looking around and uh, I was just thinking about, you know, the devastation of the forest and all that. And I get down to the stop sign and these, just as I was having that thought, these huge trucks with trees on them go whipping by three of them, huge trucks, big old trees on there. I <laughs> so, well, there we are. That's it. Thank you, mystery. <laughs> mystery revealed. <laughs> and so much of our life cannot be, so much of our, of the cosmic life is revealed within the interactions of that mystery. It goes on all the time. But because it's thought about in terms of quantifiable results, it's never given the credit of just showing or peering because that's where it's really coming from. I have many, many stories, incredible hospice stories about those things. The hospice lore is filled with them, just rich with mystery stories. I won't talk to you about them now, but maybe sometime in a question period I can bring some more. In In any case, so that, that non gority action, and also the purity of perceptual action, it just stays in the governance of non-harm. It's not given to selfishness. Selfishness is given over by the mind, and that's a, that's a mental entrapment. The body knows, really, generosity. It knows, it knows interconnectedness, and when the body's intelligence is released, that sense of interconnectedness plays out in activity on its own, miraculously. And it also plays through in speech. We think it's all mind-driven, and it's not mind-driven. Sometimes spontaneous speech, eruptions of speech, which I was trying to talk about in one of these periods, non-mind-controlled speech is entirely uniformed and correct in alignment with the situation of what needs to happen, given that character and given your character. It's not going to be the same speech for everyone. It's not going to be the same idea for everyone. But there'll be a synchronicity between forms when we release the tension of the mind's intelligence and just allow the intelligence of the body to speak. It sounds funny, doesn't it? That the mind could speak, that the body could speak without the mind. But it can happen. I'm—I Right now, I'm not thinking of a thing I'm saying. Yes, to some of you, I'm making no sense. I'm right doing <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then there's a third component here. Third component of body intelligence is that it acts to counter or can act to counter the conditioning of the, old, the See, the body is so filled with the mind's scripts and the emotional lack of intelligence of the emotions that it's given towards activity driven by the mind and by the emotions, mind and emotional intelligence. But it also has the ability to withstand that pressure if it's given over to its intelligence. Now, this is very important because many of you have seen in your sitting something you have realized something about your life that needs correction. Let us say you've seen some form of inadequacy. And you'll sit there and you'll know it definitely and you'll see how it has inhibited you, where it, where it limits you, you'll see all the, and yet, quite often, next year I'll come back and find you in the same place, having not moved one inch out of that, because you're just caught in the insight, but unable to move out of the insight. See, this is where wise action is absolutely essential. This thing has to move into embodied action. You have to move the insight into action for the cells to be integrated into the insight, for the cells to gain access to the insight. The cells do it through action, through movement. So as we get so caught in some of this inadequacy. The body, if we are willing to do it, and this, I can't tell you how few people are really willing to do this. It's fine having the insight. And it's because the next step is much more difficult when you start following the body's intelligence rather than the conditioning of the past. It is incredibly difficult. Let me just give you... A fictitious example, perhaps we are governed by this sense of inadequacy. We feel inadequate, and especially around certain types of people, right? Leaders or bosses or somebody, let's just say. So we, as soon as we see them, the boss, we start cringing, we start feeling the sense of inadequacy, we start wanting to kind of, you know, be lost, Find it find uh, some place to hide because they're coming at us and we're, you know, and, okay. And this is where the body's intelligence takes over. This is where I stand and I don't move from body from the mind's or emotional intelligence, come what may. So the person comes and steadfast, without excuses, without paranoia. The body's intelligence is there. And it's the mind is meanwhile screaming, get out of there, you'll make a fool of yourself, and all of that. And you stay, you just, but the body's intelligence is steadfast. And if we can just focus and let them see, the mind is like a light, the body's like a lightning rod. The mind, you can let, you can ground the mind immediately. You can let the All that stuff just go right into the earth, just go shooting out through your body right into the earth. And the body holds it, holds, it's like a right lightning rod, holds the stability of the moment and can release the electricity of the mind. And it stands, it's steady, it looks. And yes, there's this screen, but as we're moving, the cells are learning a new way of being no longer inscribed within that old conditioning. It's learning to release that old conditioning and hold itself with a completely different orientation to the moment. Here's something I suggest just as a game to play to bring this out. When you have a very strong mental and emotional intelligence that acts against your activities, that limit, seems to limit your activities, like, let's say, inadequacy because it's so universal. Go find your, a place where you can act it out. Go into a room and just be as inadequate as you can. Just trip and fall and like, act it like, a, like Charlie Chaplin. And just be absolutely inadequate to the point, overemphasize, exaggerate, to the point where you begin to smile over that. It's kind of fun. Let it, Call it forth. Come on out, inadequacy. Call it forth. It'll come. <laughs> 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 and just let it dance in there. You know, just let it dance in there. Let it. like. I'm just, you know, all of that. And you can get a sense. First of all, you're, what's happening, you see, is that the mind has been able to hold it rather than fear it. And the body can play it out. But in its playing it out, it also has the intelligence in that moment to know itself is different from that. And so the body is getting some freedom within that play and lightness and within the smile. And it does feel like a, an act but it's a good one to go through. And so then when you're really stuck in it in that moment, the body has that inward smile that can help it be seen for what it is without the seriousness that we take it and the repressed actions we give it to it. Hmm? It's kind of fun, and I don't know of any... I don't know... It's a wonderful way to have this sense of play within action and yet expose the body's intelligence to some of these deep-rooted feelings that we have. But we have to start moving this thing into action. So one of the things I suggest, again, just little things, start writing down four or five actions you will take given this new insight you've had about yourself. Now, see, when you start putting pencil to paper, you're actually moving into action. So you're not just lost in a mental frame of reference for what you should be doing, but you're actually beginning through writing, putting it into the impression, impressions within the cells of the body. That's the first step. As slight as it might be, it is a first step. And then find opportunities and look for them, challenges and often safe ones so that the mind won't come out too rattled. And friendly people. And then start challenging some of those dispositions in action. Like I'm not moving, you know. Like I love it when two people are together that don't know each other very well. And there's that moment of awkwardness when one feels the other needs to, I need to speak to cover, you know. And you go, okay, I'm not, you know. Unless something comes up, I'm not saying a damn thing. (laughs) Unless it comes up. You don't go to, you aren't going to try, it's not like a power thing. You're just not going to go into fear or old conditioning and start babbling about nothing. I'm just not going to let that, the mind babble. And there's this awkwardness, and it's like, oh God, uh." well, how are you today? (laughs) And there's a beautiful way that the body knows its time in communication there is a beautiful way that there's a beginning, a middle, and a resolution to communication. It's natural, organic. Instead of this fear-based communication that most of us have, social anxiety and all of that, and until we find that natural resonance of the body, the mind is always kind of feeling, you know, Nervous and anxious and looking away and doing all the things that. So we're beginning to see a hope. That sitting on our cushion is fine. Fine, because that's the body holding stillness. But then we have to move and allow that stillness to move through us. And not let just noise move us. What does body action in stillness, from stillness, look like? And there's this tremendous awkwardness when we're finished with a conditioned reactive response to everything and we have no idea what will come out of us. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out of me. And I have no background memory for bringing anything forward because that's dead. That's the conditioning. And you, you've, and so there's a way that the body works. We have to work our way in and out and through this awkwardness. Most of us to spontaneity, spontaneity. Once it's released, though, by God, the body comes. It's like charge, the energy of the system that has been blocked because of the mental and emotional intelligence blocking and thwarting this. It's alive and it's spirited and it's buoyant and it's joyful. And it's energetic and it's creative and is completely serendipitous, unexpected, and so finally. The body starts trumping the mind. After eons of the reverse, the body steps forward in its rightful place, its rightful orientation, and the mind is now quiet. Quietly the servant of the body. Quietly the servant of the body. And yes, It formulates plans and things that it has to do, but the body is in charge here. And we never move from now to procure anything. We move now. The plans come into now and are resolved. Okay, all. Thank you very much. Can we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.